Thou wast transfigured on the mount, O Christ our God, revealing thy glory to thy disciples as far as they could bear it. Let thine everlasting light shine upon us sinners through the prayers of the Theotokos, O giver of light, glory to Thee. Hi there. Welcome back to another live Bible study on 1 Corinthians, inspired by the homilies of St. John Chrysostom. I am Father Thanasios Heros. I am the Dean here at the St. Nicholas Greek Orthodox Cathedral in Tarpon Springs, Florida, and I'm your host for Be Transfigured Ministries. Welcome back to our old friends, and welcome if you're one of our new friends. Let me share with you how it works. So our live Bible study, it is live most Tuesdays of the last week. As many of you know, I was quarantining because I came down finally with coronavirus. I've been avoiding it for two years, but it finally caught up with me. But now everything is fine, and so it's in the past. So thank God for that. I have many things to be thankful for. It was a very mild case, but nonetheless, I did have to stay home, so we did not have Bible study last week. Normally, we are live in Father Trifon Hall, downtown Tarpon Springs, Florida. So if you're ever in Tarpon Springs, looking forward to joining us in person, we'd love to have you. So let me just share with you how it works. So tonight is session 14 of our Bible study on 1 Corinthians. And I mentioned we follow the homilies of St. John Chrysostom. And he taught these Bible studies somewhere in the year, we think around 410 AD, when he was priest uh, in Antioch. This was before he became the patriarch. And so tonight is homily 13, which is session 14. That's because session one, if you go back and watch, it's called the argument. He doesn't actually call it homily one, so the numbers are kind of off there. And we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 10 through 16 this evening. There is a study guide. If you have not yet downloaded our study guide, you can find that on my website, liveanewlifeinchrist.org. And click on Bible study in 1 Corinthians, and you'll see links to all of the study guides for the previous classes, including tonight, and a link to all of the videos from the previous classes. So, if you're new and you want to get caught up, or you just want to binge watch Father Athanasius, you can do that uh, and enjoy yourself and learn something at the same time. Um, in the, on the study guide, you'll see a link to the homily. Um, we have copies here for those of us who are in person, um, but I strongly encourage you to read the homily in advance of the Bible study. And let's talk about reading for a moment, because this is an important question that often comes up when it comes into Bible study. How do we read the Bible, right? So when it comes to preparing for our Bible study, my personal recommendation is if you can find the time, read the entire book of 1 Corinthians every single week without stopping, without taking notes, without asking questions. The key for this is to get the context of it, to see where St. Paul is going in terms of his train of thought. We want to just get it inside of us, right? And then go back and read just the portion that we're going to study that particular night. Same thing with the homily. My advice is read the homily straight through in advance of class, and then you'll see that I pick out things here and there in terms of the homily, so you can gain a little something here and there. But I have to read it sometimes two or three times, really to grasp what St. John Chrysostom is trying to tell us. Why Chrysostom? Why Corinthians? Well, it's pretty simple. The first century church in Corinth was very similar to our American situation. What do I mean? Corinth was highly educated, multicultural, very wealthy, and had some serious division problems. Okay, so this is the context of what St. Paul is writing to. And the fourth century 
Antioch, where St. John Chrysostom was preaching these homilies, was multicultural, highly educated, seriously divided, and very wealthy, just like our American situation. So we have all those same things that we're fighting with and dealing with, so we can gain quite a bit from that exercise. So let's see who is online. So we have people here. We have Angeliki from Canada. Hello, Angeliki. We have Kiki from Paris, Tennessee. We have Maria who's on in Tarpon. She's not allowed to tell us she's on because she's at work. Shh. But she's got her earbuds on and she's watching Bible study from work. She told me she was going to do that. So, hi, Maria. Shh, don't tell anybody you're at work, okay? And uh, hopefully we'll have some more people coming online. If you're new to our Bible study, we do have our chat room, which is moderated by my wife, the amazing Presidera Vasi. And just to let you know that she holds no bars. If you've ever been online or you've only been in class, the online chat group, it's like they're having their own total separate time together. They're joking with each other. They're asking questions to each other, as if I'm not even here. Like I'm just eye candy to the people watching online. So anyway, I hope you enjoy it online as well. If Presbytero at some times will bump a question over to me that I can work into the conversation, I'd be glad to do that. Oh, here we have somebody from Iowa. Don't you know it's Iowa? Okay, so I'm still working on the sound system, by the way. We're still having some difficulties, so I'm the only one with a microphone tonight. So I will do the reading, and I will do my best to repeat any questions that come uh, from the room this evening. So without further ado, let's go ahead and say our prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Shine within our hearts, loving Master, the pure light of your divine knowledge, and open the eyes of our minds that we may comprehend the message of your gospel. Instill in us also reverence for your blessed commandments, so that having conquered sinful desires, we may pursue a spiritual life, thinking and doing all those things which are pleasing to you. For you, Christ our God, are the light of our souls and bodies, and do we give glory together with your Father without beginning in your all-holy, good, and life-creating spirit, always, now, and forever, and to the ages of ages. Amen. Oh, before we begin, of course, we already began, so before we continue, before we move on, remember, this is a fast-free week, the first week of the Triodion, because of how prideful the Pharisee was in his fasting. The church actually forbids fasting for this week. So, Tomorrow's Wednesday, and that's a fast-free Wednesday, so don't forget to eat and enjoy yourself tomorrow. But most importantly, do not have pride in your fasting or your eating for that matter. Okay, on we go. So 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 10 through 16. Let me go ahead and read that to get us started. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. We are distinguished, but we, you are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Okay, so this is the context of our reading tonight. And again, if you're new to us, uh, let me just share with you how the study guide works. You'll see that we have text analysis, and then we have what's called life application. St. John Chrysostom was very popular in doing this. What he does is he has a chapter-verse part of his Bible study, and then sometimes based on one word or sometimes a verse, he moves on into a... Um, a teaching, a moral teaching that I call life application, which is very beneficial for us because it makes 
what we're studying relevant, okay? You've heard me say this a thousand times in Bible study. It doesn't matter even if we memorize the scriptures. If it does not somehow affect the way we live our life, it is a useless exercise. It is just brain power. We don't want to waste ourselves just with brain power, okay? So what I've done, and it is merely for organizational purposes, where I have taken out quotes from St. John Chrysostom's homily, I have included the section numbers, and the section numbers is how the editors have organized the homily, right? I'm, of course, looking at this book. It actually is a, a written copy. You can see there my notes there. See that? Different colors. Um, but the online version has this same organizational structure to it with the section numbers. So that way, if I'm in section one, you can look for section one to see where the quotes are if you want to make notes in your particular homily, okay? All right, so uh, section number one, interesting here just to point out that St. John Christum backs up a little bit. We actually covered these verses two weeks ago, these first verses here, and Christum backs up, and in his own words, he says, it, for it is necessary from this point to resume our discourse. So he actually goes back to reset the context, right? This is really a beautiful thing to show that they're meeting on multiple days here, okay? This is a regular Bible study class that St. John Chrysostom is teaching. It's not liturgical homilies. And so where he's leaving off, they get together for their next class. We don't know if it was the next day, who knows how many days had passed or whatever. So you see him making these connections. So he actually begins by saying, Let's go back here just to reset ourselves. So, so this is an important context there. Okay, point number two. We should, not, we should seek not worldly glory, but the life of the apostles. Listen to what Chrysostom says here. Now these things he said that he might hereby cause them also to consider, but they should zealously seek the condition of the apostles, their dangers and their indignities, not their honors and glory. For these, not the other, are what the gospel requires. That's an interesting context for, for St. John Christ and for St. Paul, right? The apostles were not someone to look up to in society. In the church, yes, but not in the general society. And so if we remember where Chrysostom was, where St. Paul was two weeks ago, where he's going here, he's trying to convince us to separate ourselves from the worldly, right? And so he's going to hold up the condition of the apostles, and no one questions that the apostles are worthy to follow because they knew who the apostles were. So if the apostles were be treating a certain way, He's trying to have us grow an affinity toward them. So, well, if it's good enough for the apostles to be, you know, to be poorly treated, and we know the apostles are the good guys to follow, then maybe we're willing to get some of the poor treatment as well. Because what St. Paul has to do here, what St. John Christum is helping us see, is that we've got to break that bond from the, from the worldly expectation. And so... We don't want to seek what the world has as glory, but the life of the apostles. It's an interesting uh, context there for us. Almost counterintuitive because who wants to be poorly treated, right? So what St. Paul is doing is he's elevating the treatment of the apostles because no one questions that the apostles are a good group of guys to be following, if that makes any sense, okay? Section number two, quote number three. Our struggle is constant. Listen to what Chrysostom says here. Do you see that all the life of Christians must be as this, and not merely a day or two? For though the wrestler who was victorious in a single context only, contest only be crowned, he is not crowned again if he suffer a fall. Right. So there's this understanding that our our struggle doesn't come to an end. Don't expect just one difficult day as a Christian. Don't expect just one day. Expect it to go on and on. And this is the 
the true battle that we're in, right? And that's why he says, you know, the wrestler isn't victorious only, only once. He's got to keep his, for lack of a better word, right, to, you know, using the context of like professional wrestling. If he wants to keep his belt, he has to keep winning. He can't just win just once, right? I had never even watched professional wrestling, but I know they have the belts. So anyway, okay. By the way, I want to welcome Michael um, f- from New York. Michael Timotheos from New York. And Sandra is from Bangkok, Thailand, right? So we have, a, we have multiple countries chiming in tonight. We have Canada, of course, the United States, and now Bangkok, Thailand, which is pretty cool. Um, is Iowa considered another country or just another state? I think it's just another state, right? Okay. All right. Quote number four. Here we are, still in section two. We are called to suffer without despondency, i.e. willingly. Listen to what Chrysostom says here. This, I say, is the main point. Not our suffering evil, for that is common to all, but our suffering without despondency or vexation. But we, so far from desponding, are full of exultation. And a sure proof of this is our requiting with the contrary those who do us wrong. Wow, right? That's where we want to be with our suffering. Not saying, oh, woe is me, but to be, to be grateful that we're being picked on, I should say. This is, again, the context of what St. Paul has been bringing us forward this far. And again, if we remember the context, he's bringing us somewhere. He's got to separate us from the worldly thinking in order to be able to begin teaching the morality that he wants to teach us, which is coming in the next chapter. So um, he's got to be able to, to break that bond. Point number five. St. Paul expresses his deep love for the people when he shares how he suffers. Listen to what Chrysostom says here. It is the expression of one seriously concerned, not in pain himself, but desiring to make them feel that he who has innumerable complaints to make should even salute them. And therefore did Christ command us to bear insults meekly, that we might both exercise ourselves in a high strain of virtue and put the other party to the more shame. For that effect one produces not so well by reproach as by silence. Ooh. For that effect one produces not so well by reproach as by silence. Being able to sit and take it. That's what's being said here. So we're going to really follow this train of thought through tonight with, uh, with Chrysostom. Okay, go to the section three now in the homily. Quote number six. The church loves us like a parent. Correction should be out of love, not force. Listen to what Chrysostom says here. For not to speak was impossible, since they would have remained uncorrected. On the other hand, after he had spoken, to leave the wound untended were hard. Wherefore, along with his severity, he apologizes. For this, so far from destroying the effect of the knife, rather makes it sink deeper in, while it moderates the full pain of the wound. Since when a man is told that not in reproach, but in love are these things said, he the more readily receives correction. I think that's an important thing for us, especially in our contemporary context. You know, in our interactions with our friends, maybe they're internet friends, maybe they're real life friends outside of cyberspace, we tend to get very almost abusive in correcting people's behaviors and correcting people's um, positions. What St. Paul is doing here, what Chrysostom is drawing out for us is that St. Paul is correcting us from the position of love. And so he's showing his compassion to the people, right? He's saying, I could have been harder on you, but I'm not. I could have said this. So 
in, in this context of trying to remind his children, as he says, I've become, you know, you're, 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 you've, I've, be, I've begotten you, he says. There's this, there's this context of if he can convince them that he's here for his love, then they're willing to accept the, the correction. And we really have forgotten that, especially in the blogosphere. I mean, people get brutal on Twitter and other social media as if they're not sharing any sense of love whatsoever, right? And I think that's something that, that is a great lesson for us to learn in our interactions, both in human life and, um, and uh, in the, in the uh, internet world. Okay. Section number four, quote number seven. St. Paul teaches that we have been blessed by Christ, no one person. Listen to what Chrysostom says here. He is not here setting forth his dignity, but the exceeding greatness of his love. Thus, neither did he wound the other teachers, since he adds the clause in Christ, but rather soothed them, designating not as parasites, but as tutors, those among them who were zealous and patient of labor, and also manifested his own anxious care of them. Right? I mean, this is just, it, it's beautiful because he's, he's, he is so gentle in his correction. I mean, the people, once we get to some of the moral teachings in Corinthians, they were really over the deep end in some of this stuff. But he can't get there first. He's got to slowly bring them in and he's soothing them, but he's correcting them, saying, look, this is what Christ wants. This is something that is an important thing. Not as if it's just St. Paul teaching something, but that this is what Christ wants and how the church expects us to live. Okay, final point here. St. Paul expresses fatherly love to draw them and us in. Listen to what Chrysostom says here. For this one care at the moment was to show forth the love which he had for them. For they indeed received you from me and led you on, but that you are believers at all came to pass through me. Thus, because he had said as children, lest you should suppose that the expression was flattery, he produces also the matter of fact, right? So he's, he's slowly bringing them in as a father. And this is, St. Paul was so brilliant at this. He knows his audience. And this is why we are so carefully read through this. And again, why we benefit from just reading it straight through every week to see where he's leading the story. We know by reading ahead where St. Paul's going to end up. I mean, he's going to end up talking about incest. But he can't get there right away. He's got to draw people in. He's got to draw us in as a father who has true concern for his people. And um, Chrysostom, of course, was brilliant that way too. Okay, final point in our textual analysis, and then we're going to move on to the life application. Section 5 in the homily, point number 9. St. Paul invites us to imitate him as he imitates Christ. Chrysostom says this, Not that in self-exaltation he does so, but implying that virtue is an easy thing. As if he had said, Tell me not, I am not able to imitate you. You are a teacher and a great one. For the difference between me and you is not so great as between Christ and me, and yet I have imitated him. So, what does that mean? In other words, uh, look at the, the, um, the, the, the footnote I have down here at the bottom. Chrysostom had a longer verse here. So Chrysos, this, this will help us understand what Chrysostom is saying. Chrysostom's text of Corinthians is different from ours. Okay, Chrysostom's text includes the words, as I am of Christ. Okay, so here it says... Um, at the very last verse here, Therefore I urge you, imitate me. Chrysostom's text there continues with the expression, As I am of Christ. 
So we have to understand that that's what Chrysostom was reading, different from what we have, so we can understand where he's teaching here. In other words, St. Paul's not just saying, imitate me. He's saying, imitate me as I am imitating Christ. Right? That's the context here, and St. Paul says that in other places too, so we, so we know that's his context. But I think the, the, what's, what's important here for us to grab, as Chrysostom says here, for the difference between, he's saying as if he's speaking for St. Paul, for the difference between me and you was not so great as between Christ and me, and yet I have imitated him. In other words, okay guys, look, I'm just me. I'm just St. Paul. I'm spit on, I'm this, I'm that, and, and I'm much closer to how you are as a human being. So imitate me, just like I'm imitating Christ, but he's saying, he's acknowledging that they would see that as such an undoable thing. He's start by imitating me. And I think that's, again, that is that beautiful compassion there, saying, look, if you can't figure out how to imitate Christ, just imitate me. Let's start there. Let's start somewhere as the good teacher, as the good mentor that he is. I think that's a really important context. And again, we don't understand that context fully because our text of 1 Corinthians is not the exact same text that St. John Chrysostom has. And that brings me to another you know, parenthetical statement, and that is, right, we know that the scriptures have differed over the centuries. We know that St. John Chrysostom, you know, at the end of the end of the fourth century, his scriptures were not exactly like ours. That doesn't bother us as Orthodox Christians. It might bother someone who's sola scriptura. Oh my gosh, what do you mean they have an extra word there? But for us, we understand that these things are different. We're not looking at the end, each individual word as if that's the only thing that ever existed. We're looking for the greater context here. So when we come across things such as St. John Chrysostom had a different text of the Bible than we have, we don't have to have a meltdown. We can deal with it okay because it's part of, it's part of life. All right? All right, so... Remember I mentioned that St. John Chrysostom goes into his teachings inspired by something. In this case, it's the call to imitation, right? So I have labeled it in the study guide, imitating St. Paul like Christ requires effort and commitment. Okay, so um, these quotes, first section here comes from section 6 in the homily, if you want to get that ahead of you. Okay, quote number 10. Get to know the whole life of St. Paul and other saints. Listen to what Chrysostom says here. For having got the colors and learned that he was ignorant of, he waited no time, but immediately appeared a most excellent artist. At first he shows the head of the king preaching Christ, then also the remainder of the body, the body of a perfect Christian life. Again, in the context of the homily, St. John Christum is showing the importance of getting to know the whole character if you're going to imitate him. He's talking about an artist here, which is why this is painting imagery. And so the artist can't just imitate, can't just do just a face. He's got to look at the entire being. And so if we're going to imitate St. Paul, we have to imitate all of St. Paul. We have to learn about him, learn about his life. Learn about the saints. That's why if you follow my daily blog at Be Transfigured, one of the things we're committing to this year in 2022 is a constant going back to the saints and referencing the saints and getting an inspiration from the saints because they have a lot to offer us because they lived this life already. Okay, And so if we're going to imitate St. Paul like he wants us to do, we have to know the whole story of St. Paul. And the, um, and the saints. This is what Chrysostom is saying here. Point number 11. Because of Christ, St. Paul's work is greater than the mercy seat of the temple. So now St. John Chrysostom is referencing something directly in the Jewish temple, the mercy seat. For this cause, he was more awful than the mercy seat and the cherubim. For no such voice went out from them as from hence. 
but from them it talked with men chiefly about things of sense. From the tongue of Paul, on the other hand, about the things above the heavens. Again, from the mercy seat it spoke oracles to the Jews alone, but from hence to the whole world. And there it was by things without life, but here by a soul instinct with virtue. So this is so he's showing that and again there's this there's this beauty of the Old Testament is the precursor of the New Testament, right? So he's even saying that the mercy seat focused on I don't want to say trivial things, but earthly things. And here now, St. Paul's dealing with heavenly things, which makes him even greater than the mercy seat. And again, this is the great St. Paul. We do know that um, St. John Christum had an incredible affinity to St. Paul. There's a, this, in fact, it's the icon that we use for our Bible study. And it is the, the icon of St. Paul whispering into the ear of St. John Chrysostom and St. John Chrysostom writing out his homilies. That's how much he loved him. That's how much he loved him. And because I believe that's why his ear is incorrupt. That's correct. So in that context, you see, you see some of this love coming through for St. Paul in, uh, in the writing of St. John Chrysostom. Okay, point number 12. St. Paul never allowed his suffering to dampen his light. Remember, the context here is we have to know more about St. Paul if we're going to imitate him, right? That's the context that, that uh, St. John Christum is having in this particular moment. Wherefore also he himself, when bound with the chain, kept exclaiming in 2 Timothy 2.9, The word of God is not bound. Thus continually by means of that tongue was it sending forth its rays, and no fear, no danger made that bosom gloomy. St. Paul, man, and he suffered for the church. He suffered for the gospel, and it never dampened his spirits. Right? And again, if we're going to imitate St. Paul, then we too cannot allow our suffering to dampen our spirits. Right? That's this context here. If we're going to imitate St. Paul to understand who St. Paul is. And as I've, my title here requires effort and commitment. Okay, section 7 in the homily. Quote number 13. A holy life expels evil. I'll read the quote and then I'll read the footnote. And wheresoever Paul happened to show himself, they all retired and got out of the way, as if the champion of the whole world had appeared. And as they who have been often wounded in war, should they see but some part of the armor of him that wounded them feel a shuddering. Much in the same way, the devils also, at sight of handkerchiefs, only were uh, Estonied, right? And the, the footnote here is that relics can and were and are the objects of miracles. And handkerchiefs specifically we see referenced in the book of Acts. That the, even the handkerchiefs, even the shadow of the apostles was known to have performed miracles, right? So a holy life can expel evil. That's the context we have here. And so if we want to defeat Evil, what do we have to become? We have to become holy. Imitate St. Paul. Point number 14. If we imitate St. Paul's lifestyle, we too can defeat evil. Listen to what Chrysostom says here. If therefore we also thus exercise ourselves, when we enter into the context, we shall be crowned. And though there be no persecution before us, we shall receive for these things many rewards. But if we pamper the body and live the life of a swine, even in peace we shall often sin and bear shame. Do you not see, do you see not with whom we wrestle? With the incorporeal powers. How then, being ourselves flesh, are we to get better of these, the better of these? For if wrestling with men, 
one have need to be temperate in diet, much more with evil spirits. Ooh. Think of that. Right? For if wrestling with men, one have need to be temperate in diet, much more with evil spirits. In other words, our fasting, our prayer, our discipline. In the church, we call that askesis, our spiritual disciplines. We know we need to focus on that stuff in regular war. What makes us think we don't have to focus on those things in spiritual war? That's what Kristam is saying here, right? To defeat an actual wrestler, right? Professional wrestling. You have to eat properly. What makes us think that there's not a part of that that we have to look at in terms of our spiritual war as well? Really an amazing point. Because this week, of course, there's no fasting. But as we are prepared, what a beautiful way to be reminded of this as we're getting ready for the great and holy fast, right? It's, 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 it makes sense. We're going to war with demons and our body also has to be prepared. I just want to take a, take a second here to answer a question. Uh, Sandra has a question about donating to be transfigured. Uh, oh, Sandra, you have a non-United States credit card. So uh, the only way, if you have a PayPal account, you can donate via PayPal also to our, to our ministry. But um, without an American credit card, the only way to donate to be transfigured would be through PayPal. Um, and you, there's a link also on our, our page, liveanewlifeinchrist.org slash donate. And there's a link there for PayPal as well. So if you have a PayPal account, Sandra, you'll be able to donate to be transfigured. Okay, sorry for that little commercial break, but Sandra was asking the question uh, here in the chat room. Okay, section number eight in the homily. Physical world is not evil, but how the physical world is used, that is evil. Listen to what Chrysostom says here. For God made nothing evil, but all things very good, so that riches too are good, i.e., if they do not master their owners, if the wants of our neighbors be done away by them. For neither is that light good, which instead of dissipating darkness, rather makes it intense, nor should I call that wealth, which instead of doing away poverty, rather increases it. All right? So, it's not that the world is evil, it's how we use the worldly things that bring in the evil, right? And it's not that the wealth is evil, it's how we use the wealth. And that's an important thing for us to remember in our daily Christian journey, all right? Uh, point number 16, speaking of using our wealth, charity must be done willingly in order to be a blessing. Again, tell me, which is the more dignified? To receive from those who are willing and are obligated to you? Or when men are unwilling to compel and tease them? Clearly not to trouble those who are unwilling. So that's an important thing too, right? This, this, this idea of free will. We don't want people, speaking of donations, Sandra, we don't want people to feel obligated to donate. We don't want people to feel obligated into their Christian journey. We want them to lovingly and freely and willingly endure. Okay, and so whether it is our charitable giving, whether it is helping out a neighbor, um, either whatever it is, it has to be done uh, freely and lovingly, not out of obligation. Okay, so... Where we have left it now, let's see what time it is. We have, we have, extra, we have extra time, so if there's any other questions on the chat room, if you want to bump over to them, we can definitely build those in. But what I like to do every week is I have what I call a send-off, which is normally from the very end of the homily. And in this case, I have titled it, Chase Heaven, Do Not Chase Earth. Now remember, the context here is... St. Paul and St. John Chrysostom are preparing us for what's coming. 
If you look ahead into chapter 5, we're going to be talking about incest and serious moral failings of the church. So he's really trying to get us to break away from the worldly logic. So here I have, chase heaven, do not chase earth. And this is where we'll leave it tonight, unless there's any other final questions. Wherefore I beseech you, all such wealth as this let us flee, disgraceful as it is, and in deaths abundant, and let us obtain that which is spiritual, and let us seek after the treasures in the heavens. For whoever possesses these, they are the rich, they are the wealthy, both here and there enjoying things, even all things. Since whoever will be poor, according to the word of God, has all men's houses opened to him. For unto him that for God's sake has ceased to possess anything, every one will contribute of his own. But whoever will hold a little with injustice shuts the doors of all against him. To the end, then, that we may attain both to the good things here and to those which are there, let us choose the wealth which cannot be removed, that immortal abundance, which may God grant us all to obtain through the grace and loving kindness of our Lord Jesus Christ, etc. Amen. So, if we could accomplish just that, right, to stop chasing after the worldly things, it's not about money, it's not about power, it's about chasing after these things. Yes, in order to have an organized society, someone has to have some kind of authority. In order to have an organized workforce, someone has to have wealth to be able to pay the workers. That's a natural part of our worldly existence. It's whether we are driving for those things, right? That's where Chrysostom wants us to be. And so as we are heading on, what a beautiful way to, to leave it for this week because this is the week of the publican and the Pharisee, right? Stop chasing after those worldly things. Instead, chase after heaven. Right, there's a question here. When you help a neighbor freely, but they use you, do you stop helping them? Ah, that's an interesting question. I would say in the context of what St. John Christum and St. Paul are telling us this week, I would say we don't necessarily have to stop helping them, right? So what does it mean even to be used? We, I would imagine that's being taken advantage of, right? So someone's saying, hey, I'm helping you, but you're taking advantage of my help. Well, first of all, I think St. John Christum and St. Paul would say, well, where is the sin in that? The sin is not in ours, it's, in, it's how they're receiving our assistance. All the more reason you've got to be doing it freely, right? So what does Christ say? Give without expecting anything in return. If you don't expect anything in return, how can you be taken advantage of? Right? <laughs> Being taken advantage of implies there's some kind of a contract there. Okay? Um, now, if there's more to that question in terms, of, in terms of being used, then maybe you have to ask yourself, um, am I enabling bad behavior? I think it's a legitimate question for us to ask ourselves as Christians, is my helping enabling bad behavior? So not knowing the context of your question about helping your neighbor, let's talk about, for example, financial assistance to poor people, right? Uh, one of the things that we do here at St. Nicholas in Tarpon Springs, and I, we've done it other places that I have been involved as a priest, is in order to receive financial assistance, you have to sit down with someone and go through your finances and see, well, why am I in this predicament in the first place? Okay, do I have expenses that I have no business having and I can't pay my light bill you know, but I've got an expensive, you know, video game system or what have you. And so I think the discernment here would be to assist someone financially without helping them 
avoid the traps that they find themselves in is not helping them, right? That's enabling, in, in, that's enabling bad behavior. And so in that context, you could say, well, they're taking advantage of me. You know, they have money to pay their electric bill, but instead they've got three computers in their room instead, or they have this big old flat screen TV. And so in that context, maybe you can say that they're taking advantage of you. And so is, are you really helping them? Okay, that's just one example um, that might be assisting there in terms of, so I would say in that case, no, maybe we don't help them in that case. Maybe we've had a different way and helping them avoid their... Uh, <laughs> he's actually given the answer to the question. Rides are asking to get them beer. Okay, so... <laughs> I love the context here. Constant rides. Okay, so... Um, I think the answer here is if you don't mind taking them places, then it's okay. They're not using you. You are being a blessing to them. On the other hand, if you are enabling bad behavior, then you probably should find a different way to help, right? Um, and I don't think you are obligated to get them beer. Uh, I don't remember anywhere in the gospel where it does say I was thirsty and you gave me a drink, but I'm not quite sure beer was the was the thought process in that particular passage. So... All right. Um, I don't see any other questions posing unless, Philip, you have a question you want to chime in here? Anything? Uh, just that the last question got me thinking about the way it was initially phrased was if I'm helping someone but they take advantage, should I stop helping them? And it got me to think about all the kind of situations that that could you know, apply to because we didn't have the context. And I imagined it in a very different way than financial assistance or giving a ride. I thought more from the perspective of someone who maybe, you know, not saying that the person who asked the question was this way, but like imagine you meet someone who you, 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 you have an attraction for, but they're not Christian and they're not a certain way, you know, and you think, I can help them by changing them or by showing them. Ah, uh, yeah, right. That's not helping so them at all. Becomes, how do we know we're helping at all? Yeah. So you can't hear Philip's question, but his, his comment was that or not knowing the original context of the question, it began to, fall, you know, what does it mean to help somebody? Oh, maybe I can help them by changing them. And, you know, we get into this, Philip didn't say it, but I'll say this power trip, right? I'm going to fix them. I'm going to, you know, now obviously St. Paul wants to fix us, right? And and when we have those particular relationships, it is an important thing, you know, for us to have those relationships. But I, I think, again, uh, let me just share with you a, a story that was given to me. Uh, this is a the true life story when I was a young priest. Um, and there was a parishioner who was going through a divorce. I was a, a second priest. I was not the full-time priest there. And the person was going through divorce, and I asked the senior priest, the pastor, I said, do you think I should call so-and-so? And he challenged me in that moment, and I've always remembered it, and I think it is a good context for us here. He says, why would you call that person? Have you ever called that person before? Did you ever call and say, how are things going, or whatever? Do you, you know, what's your actual relationship with that person? Or do you want to call just to be known as the priest who cares? Right? And so he challenged me, what's my motive for helping? This gets back to if we're being taken advantage of, should we stop helping? Well, what's our motive for helping? If our motive is selfish, we're not helping at all. We're just trying to get ourselves maybe some more notoriety or some this or that. So he really challenged me. I didn't call this person. Okay, now, I wasn't the pastor, right? It wasn't my duty as the, her priest to call, right? In other contexts, it would have been appropriate for me to reach out. But even then... And, and I'm faced with this, I have to always ask myself, why am I making this phone call? Am I calling just to be known as the priest who called? Or am I genuinely caring about somebody? 
Okay, and I think that's a really important context for us. We're not helping anybody if we're just simply trying to fix somebody because we think we know better. Okay, um, unless unless we are in that particular relationship where that is our responsibility to correct them, right? If we are their teacher, if we are their mentor, if we are, in my case, their priest or what have you. But um, I've always remembered that in, in, the, in the context of why am I doing, even as a priest, a particular thing? Is it selfish orientation or is it out of love? If it's out of love, then who cares if they take advantage of me? Now I have to say, am I enabling their bad behavior, in which case I may have to alter my, alter my behavior or what have you. Okay, so where are we now? We're at a good place to go ahead and, and finish for the night. Uh, next week we have homily 14, session, right? We did homily 13 tonight, correct? Yes, so next week is session 15, homily 14. And so go ahead and download that in advance, read the homily. The study guide will be available probably on Monday next week. You can go ahead and download that in advance. Remember, if you want to receive the email reminders and notifications and links, make sure you sign up for our email list at my website, liveanewlifeinchrist.org. And it'll pop up there to join our mailing list. Make sure you include what kind of information you want, whether you want our weekly podcast, whether you want information on Bible study, or you can always click send me everything and I will send you everything, including our daily blog post. Until next week, God bless you and don't forget to live a new life in Christ. Be Transfigured is a production of Be Transfigured Ministries in cooperation with the St. Nicholas Greek Orthodox Cathedral in Tarpon Springs, Florida. We depend upon your generosity to maintain our ministry. You can make a safe online donation when you visit our website, liveanewlifeinchrist.org.